The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It's the Orange and Black Insider Bagels podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Happy to have you all with us once again. We have a jam-packed show, multiple special guests, multiple interviews, and a lot to get to. A Titanic show. John Sheeran, do you like the pun there? How are you, sir? This has been a whirlwind week for the Cincinnati Bengals and for us covering the team. How you doing, man? You hanging in there? As I said on Monday, man, it'd be a great week for a bye week. (laughs) <laughs> but nope, we just gotta we just gotta handle all this all these things full force. So let's let's get into it. Well, I know you and the rest of the crew at Cincy Jungle have been just hammering it out, and I know you and I have put in a lot of work to this particular episode and and you know what we've been doing recently. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna get you a lot of different information just to give you a quick rundown of what we're gonna do here. We're gonna talk about the Carlos Dunlap trade that occurred earlier on Wednesday. John Sheeran's got kind of some inside information there that he's going to share with us based on some conversations he has had with the Carlos Dunlap camp. And we'll talk about that. We'll give our own two cents on the situation, what the Bengals netted there, what was given all of that. And then we've got a little bit of a, a insight from uh, Brandon Schultz from Field Bowls, the SB Nation Seattle Seahawks site. He's going to talk to us a little bit about the thoughts. We had an interview earlier today talking with him about the Carlos Dunlap trade. And, of course, uh, the offensive lineman the Bengals got out of it, giving us a little insight there. So we'll talk about that. We'll break down the Browns game, too. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And then, of course, we got to preview the Titans game, and we're doing so with very special guest Denard Walker of the Believe in Titans podcast, former Tennessee Titan himself, joining us, talking uh, about the, the upcoming Week 8 matchup. And then we are going to wrap it up. So we've got a lot to get to john are you are you ready my friend yeah let's just do this (laughs) (laughs) i'm building it up i'm building it up i'm building up the suspense let's let's just i'm going to share my screen a couple of times here folks so bear with us as we do this here we go right here in case you are living under a rock and did not hear this today earlier you see 901 a.m that is pacific time for me but the Bengals traded carlos dunlap to the seahawks what they got is a seventh round pick and offensive lineman BJ Finney, a, ba- a career backup offensive lineman, spent some time with the Pittsburgh Steelers and now with the Seattle Seahawks. So that came across today, and this situation with Carlos Dunlap became irreparable. 
and they needed to make a move here. And while the compensation seems a bit low for a guy like Carlos Dunlap's resume, that's kind of where the market was set based on the Everson Griffin trade that was made earlier in the week. So that is what transpired as of Wednesday. Now, I'm going to share this with you real quick. This is courtesy of Lindsay Patterson, Cincinnati media member. Um, she put out on her Twitter account the verbiage of the statement by Mike Brown, Bengals owner, uh, who had some words about Carlos Dunlap. And lo and behold, this is something that is very positive and there is seems to be very little to no animosity, at least on the Bengals' ownership side or the card that they are showing the public. John Sheeran, Carlos had many fine seasons here and showed rare physical talent that took him to multiple Pro Bowls. Said Bengals president Mike Brown, I will always remember the role he played as a key part of exceptional defenses that we rode to the playoffs year after year. There are a lot of fond memories I have of Carlos, and I wish him well. I don't know initial thoughts, initial reactions, John. I know you have spoken to a specific individual close to Carlos Dunlap himself, and I don't know if you want to kind of start there or what, whatever you would like on this because there is a lot to digest here. It's been a long three weeks of seeing this situation unfold, and you know it's been all over social media, obviously, and we've covered it. Um, and even though it's been so public and how uh, Dunlap has handled the situation, there's always another side of the story. There's always hidden facts that we are not uh, privy to. And we all know how this kind of boiled up. You know, at the end of the Browns game, Dunlap was seen arguing with defense coordinator Lou Anaruma on the sideline. He required Zach Taylor and other players to kind of break it up and e ease the situation. But we all know that that was the boiling point, right? Because it was reported on Wednesday that Dunlap was told not to come into work because they were figuring out a trade and, and figuring out how to resolve the situation. And then it happened. So we all know that that's what was the tipping point. That's not a secret. And we covered that, you know, on Cincy jungle, we posted it right after the game ended. And an hour after the article went up, I got an email from Carlos Dunlap senior, um, just out of the blue. He apparently read the article and he reached out to me and wanted to talk to me about, what exactly has been going on in the situation. He was frustrated about the lack of communication from the Bengals part and Dunlap's part and wanted to, I guess, set the record straight. So we set up a phone conversation on Monday afternoon and he laid it all out for me in, in 20 minutes. And I'm not going to dive into every single thing that he said because I don't want to take up everyone's valuable time here. But in short, ever since Zach Taylor and Lou Anarumo have gotten here, Dunlap and Anarumo have not really been on the same page. They've been butting heads. This thing has gone back to 2019, as I think a lot of us remember from that year. But obviously, you know, Dunlap turned it on towards the end of 2019. And these those issues didn't really matter because he was producing. He was, you know, playing up to his role and his money. But, you know, Dunlap never really respected the Anarumo as a defensive coordinator or his coaching style. I believe that Dunlap Sr. said, you know, he was really authoritative, quote unquote, my way or the highway. He didn't like the fact that in a, on a defense line that was mainly comprised of veterans that spent a long time in the league, Anarumo doesn't really take advice from those guys. It's really just his way or you don't play. And he didn't he didn't vote. He didn't vote well with that. He didn't think that he was qualified. He didn't think he was competent as a defense coordinator. And even when they spent all this money on the defense side of the ball in free agency, he didn't like the fact that they didn't even try to upgrade a defense coordinator. So Anarumo came back 
for a second year. Dunlap came back, obviously, because he was under contract. But according to him, ever since the start of this year, Zach Taylor and Lou Anarumo have been trying to offload Carlos Dunlap from the Bengals. And we all know that, you know, they came to Geno Atkins about potentially limiting his you know snaps in a rotational role to ease him into the later part of the season so he, so he can stay fresh. They kind of approached Dunlap with that as well, but it wasn't as, as authentic and true as, as it was for Gino. It was mainly just a cover-up to, to basically limit the amount of snaps that he has. And it didn't really end up that way because in the first four weeks, he was still playing the majority of the snaps. And it looked like you know everything was fine. And then we all know what happened in week five, or leading up to week five. He saw his demotion on the whiteboard. It's true he was not told about that by any of the coaches and it was around this time that um, Zach Taylor said something to Carlos that I'm not going to repeat on here because he told that he told it was just kept for me, but it was something along the lines of, you know, I, I, I we, we don't want you a part of this team anymore. And it, it was something that Dunlap had never really experienced before. had never seen another player being told that in, in front of other players like that in that fashion. And that was kind of the beginning of the end. It was, it was at that point Dunlap was demoted for the sole purpose of devaluing his, I guess, value. <laughs> it, it was the front office didn't want to trade Dunlap. They didn't want to cut him. They were still paying him a certain amount of money for this year. And then they were going to try to see what this resolution was in the offseason. They, they didn't want to cut him during the season. But in Rumo and Taylor, they had other plans. They didn't want him around anymore. It just wasn't never it was never a good fit. And it was past time for a divorce. But the front office wouldn't see it that way. They didn't want they they wouldn't allow Zach Taylor to to do anything with him. They they wouldn't allow him to be traded or, or cut or anything like or anything like that. So it just became a matter of we're gonna bench you, we're gonna make you as unproductive as possible so we can convince the front office that you are not valuable anymore and we need to offload you. And that's where the demotion really came from. And that's why you only played like 12 snaps and mainly on passing downs. And that happened for the for the next three weeks or so. And then as we saw in the Browns game, it, it all boiled to a point and he called me later and Dunlap senior called me later today and explained what happened at the end of that game. Dunlap was on the field for the final plays of the game. And we saw Baker Mayfield throw two big passes down the right sideline and eventually for a touchdown. Dunlap went to the sideline after that play. He he confronted or complained to Anna Rumo about uh, the the lack of personnel on the field, or he didn't agree with the play call. And essentially Anna Rumo said something to him. There was profanity involved and Dunlap essentially lost his cool. And that's what we saw. We saw him confront him. And then after that game was over, uh, Dunlap in his camp said, I'm not coming into the building and, until we have some resolution here. And they told Dunlap to not come into work on Monday. It was reported on Wednesday, but it eventually started on Monday. And they tried to you know, preface it with, we're looking for a trade. But that was never a thing until the start of this week. You know, It was never looking out for the best of Dunlap. It was just, we're, we're sticking to our guns here and we want you on this team, we're not going to trade you, but we're we're not going to play you either. So a lot of things boiled up up to this point, and he's now a Seattle Seahawks. He was almost a Detroit Lion, though. They they originally wanted to send him to Detroit, but Dunlap did not want to go to Detroit. So they eventually worked out a deal with Seattle, and also the Browns weren't the, the Brown family was not going to trade him and pay him the full uh, money that he was owed. They only wanted to pay him two and a half million, but Dunlap basically just said, "Hey, you know what?" I, I'm gonna buy my way out of this. I'm, I'm gonna give you back the the five million that that I'm owed back to you, so we can get this done. And more or less, that's a, that's essentially what happened. Eye opening to say the very least. And I want to say this: 
I, I have actually had some interactions with Carlos Dunlap Sr. over the years as well. He's been a very pleasant man, and he has, you know, I sometimes, John, you always get this reminder of, you know, there are a lot of people that read your articles, and um, there's someone that kind of pops up, and you go, oh, that that person uh, reads my reads my work on Cincy Jungle or hears my work. It's kind of it's kind of interesting to see that happen. But I will say, Carlos Dunlap Sr. was always great to us at Cincy Jungle. He always tried to promote what his son was doing in the community and and what he was doing down south in terms of community work and he he always gave us a heads up to try and promote that so kudos to him and i know that this is coming from dunlap's dad so i mean there there is a certain perspective that comes with that but that is eye-opening stuff and like you said john when we when when that image of him yelling with Lou Anarumo on the sideline that was it i mean if it wasn't it before you, you just you couldn't you, it was irreparable irreparable and that's kind of the situation here I, I guess I'm one of the things you said towards the end there really kind of resonated with me in the fact that Dunlap was willing to give up money or give back money to get out of here that is just kind of shocking um, it's not shocking that Mike Brown and company did not want to pay all of the money to, to Carlos we know that um, sometimes has been the the organization's mo I will say this and I want to ask you this has did did anything come about in this conversation and feel free if you can't divulge it don't don't worry about it but did anything come about about the wins and losses as kind of the primary reason or was it just the butting of heads with Lou Anarumo and I guess to an ancillary factor Zach Taylor because Zach Taylor was backing Anarumo it, was that just basically it because Dunlap's seen a lot of highs and lows in terms of wins and losses with this with this organization it was never really about the, the overall success. Like it, it was obviously a difference between being coached by Marvin Lewis and his defense coordinators. And then th there's always that transition for with a new staff and how they handle veterans who are on the previous team, right? It, 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 this isn't anything new. Usually these things are just handled a little bit more quickly and not in the middle of the season and not with a lot of turmoil. It, it's not like fascinating information that a certain veteran doesn't get along with a coach that was recently brought in but it was just the fact that from the very beginning from 2019 it was never a good fit and eventually just got to the point where Dunlap knew that he was either not going to play and, and just do nothing and just sit on the bench or he needed to force his way out of there because to reiterate the Bengals front office did not want to trade him that, that's not shocking information either they don't like to trade away veteran players on in the middle of their you know, massive contracts when they still have, you know, signing bonuses that still are on the on the salary cap for for future years and whatnot. So that was obviously not what they wanted to do. But Dunlap knew that if he didn't do anything, that he would just rot on the bench for ten to fifteen snaps a game because the coaching staff did not want him on the team. But they knew they couldn't just healthy scratch him or do anything because then they would get an earful from the front office. Why aren't you playing this guy? We're paying him thirteen million dollars a year. What's going on here? We don't want to trade him. So it, it was it was just this massive disconnect. And that's essentially how it how it happened. You know, Dunlap wanted to play. Dunlap still loves the Bengals. He still loves Cincinnati. He has no ill will towards the organization in any way. It was always just a beef with the coaching staff, not any, not anything else with the, with the direction or the success of the team in general. I, you do wonder what would happen if if the Bengals were winning games and he was sitting on the bench or getting these 12 set snaps a game, but they were winning. You know, I mean, if, if that, uh, what, what would be the optics here? And I know, I think we all know, John, that because this organization is very slow to change and they love to kind of 
win those power battles with their players in terms of trade me or whatever. We know, I think that, you know, this is why Carlos Dunlap did kind of these passive aggressive social media videos. And I mean, we, we saw him taking down his parking sign earlier today and all kinds of different things, because that's the kind of attention that needs to be given to the organization in order for them to make this kind of move. At least that's my opinion of it. Yeah. Like I, I know that this is just, this is one source and obviously one side of the argument, but this is the side that we don't see. Like every time this happens with the Bengals player, you know, the, the, the team and you know, they, they post like a, a heartwarming, like farewell on social media. And we hear the coaches say the right things to the media. So we always assume that they are not in the wrong. They, they always handle these things right. And it's the player that's whining and complaining and forcing his way out of a situation that, that doesn't benefit him anymore. That's always the perception that, that we see. So I understand that this is obviously much different than what we've been hearing. And it's just one side of the story, but I, it, it, it's, it's not like we can just completely just take it for nothing just because right. it's obviously a biased side. Like, and, you know, talking to him for three times this week, it's clear that these, you know, his dad it, it is obviously really close to his son. He, you know, manages a lot of, a lot of his things for him. And I, I believe that whatever is going on in his mind was going on in his father's mind too. And obviously they communicate daily and, and all these things. So whatever he said, I'm, I'm sure that's exactly what Carlos was thinking. The stuff that what he was telling him was true. So, I know people are mad that you know this. This is only telling one side of the story. How much? How credible is this? I'm just saying this. These were the things that were said to me by a guy who reached out to me, and I think we should value it a little bit more because at the end of the day, Dunlap just he just wanted to play, right? And and to, in fairness, he wasn't playing that well in the beginning of the season, and the coaches had reason to limit his role to a certain extent. But when there when there is that just decisive decision for the player, like if I'm not value here and if I'm not going to play here, I want out. Then it's up. It's up to the team to respect those wishes and to try to make something happen. Because if you don't, then you end up with situations like this, where the player gets disgruntled enough to the point where he's posting death charts and rotations on Instagram, and he's arguing with coaches on the sideline. The situation was was definitely avoidable up to up to the point where it has gotten if the if the organization and the staff respect the wishes of him, because they they decided that this player was not valuable to them anymore. So I've been going back and forth a bit, not only in my own mind about this whole situation, and I, we don't want to belabor this for the entire show, but there is a bit more to get to on this, and and I want to hear a little bit more of your opinions on this, John, especially based on those conversations you had with Carlos Dunlap Sr. But you know, I've been, in my own mind, I've kind of been going going back and forth on this, and with other people, Bengals fans on Twitter, and to me, I still see there's there's two sides to this, and I, I I'm glad we heard the Dunlap side because I don't I don't know that he's going to ever really come out. Maybe down the road, he'll come out and kind of talk about some of these things. I think we kind of knew to an extent some of it, but maybe, you know, definitely not the details that you provided there and the specific people um, that, that you talked about there. But, you know, I mean, I, I've been I think a lot of people can maybe resonate with the fact that they've been maybe working in an organization that they love and they love working there. But they because of that passion for that organization, you get frustrated with the shortcomings. You get frustrated with certain decisions, leadership decisions. You get frustrated with personnel decisions, who gets promoted, who gets demoted, who gets the raise, who doesn't get the raise. I know pretty much all of us that listen to host these shows have not played professional football, but I think there is sort of a res, you know, something that resonates with a lot of us that have maybe worked at an organization and you see the shortcomings and it frustrates you and you put up with it and you deal with it. 
Um, and then finally, you just kind of say, I, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I cannot deal with this anymore. And the people that you have put in power or that my superiors or what have you, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And that's not to, you know, pat Carlos Dunlap on the back on his way over to Seattle and say, shame on the Bengals, shame on the Bengals. This is a two-way thing too. Carl, I, I mentioned, I, I don't think Carlos Dunlap did many of the right maneuvers to uh, using social media the way he did. But I think also that's kind of what had to get the organization's attention and force their hand to move him. Ultimately, I think this is something that benefits all parties. Um, you know, you, I guess in a way you shed some of the contract that's Carlos Dunlap. You get, I guess, someone who's kind of sour out of that locker room. And Carlos gets an opportunity to go play for a contender and he gets, gets a fresh start and, the Bengals get a little something, I guess, in return for that. I don't think the capital really, the yield really matches the talent that you gave away, but that's kind of where the market was set, folks. I mean, that's, we saw that with the Everson Griffin trade. That's that's kind of where it was set. So, you know, I, I think the, the one caveat to this, John, and I want to get your thoughts, additional, your additional thoughts based on which, what information you've divulged to us, but you know, this is this is kind of a little bit of a track record with the Cincinnati Bengals. And every team has malcontents. Every team has holdouts. Every team has this. But I've said this a couple of times on Twitter and maybe even in some interviews. You can go back to Lamar Parrish. You can go to Carl Pickens. You can go to Corey Dillon. You can go to Takeo Spikes. Go back and listen to our interview with him refusing to re-sign when free agency came with the Cincinnati Bengals. Even though Marvin Lewis, defensive guru, was coming to Cincinnati, he did not want to be a part of the Cincinnati Bengals and their ways, their losing ways, all of that. And it now goes into Carson Palmer, and now you parlay it into Carlos Dunlap. So there is a pattern here, so that that's why I see this as a as a two-way street personally. Yeah, and, I, and, just, to, and just to be clear, like I don't think anybody is saying that what that Dunlap's image has not been tainted to a certain extent. Like at the end of the, like the things that he did, he probably deemed to be necessary in order to get to the spot now where he's not a contender. He's not a team that is willing to play him. But at the end of the day, like we're, we're still going to remember these three weeks and, and the way that he handled it. And it's not exactly the greatest thing for him. And that was also something that he talked about. His image has been tarnished a little bit, but this is a fresh start for him. Like it, it's not us excusing the, the way that he did that, but it's also recognizing why it got to that point and not every situation is the same like with with Carson Palmer it, it wasn't necessarily a clash with the coaching staff it was a clash with the front office and their lack of aggressiveness to build a contending team around him and that's where the disconnect was the, with this disconnect it was never with the front office or the Brown family or, or really anything within the organization aside from the coaching staff that was directing him and not playing him so not every situation is the same even though we can kind of look at the Bengals and the track record with handling veterans and think these guys are not the best at closing out careers of the greatest players but in in this case it, it was a situation where it was just with the coaching staff and like you said the divorce was needed and kudos to the Bengals for finally actually doing that because if they don't the situation only gets worse as the season goes on Two things to think about. Lou Anarumo was essentially who, who I guess is the catalyst behind a lot of this, the angst between Dunlap and the organization or the coaching staff. Lou Anarumo was about choice number four or five that Zach Taylor potentially, you know, reportedly explored for his defensive coordinator search when he took over last year. So that kind of just casts a whole new shadow on this entire thing. And the other thing on the positive side for the Bengals, there are a lot of young core players on this team who at least are saying the right things and doing the right things and buying into Zach Taylor, et cetera. You look at Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd, 
those guys that you're you're set setting to build around over the next couple of years. Um, you know, those guys are kind of saying the right things and vocally supporting their coach and the organization. So I guess take that for what you will. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Um, John, we uh, earlier, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this here. Earlier today, we spoke with Brandon Schultz of Field Goals, the SB Nation site that covers the Seattle Seahawks. I actually had the privilege of also going on his show and talking about the trade. He talked a little bit about Carlos Dunlap, uh, his potential role with going forward with the Seattle Seahawks, as well as uh, B.J. Finney, the offensive lineman the Bengals got in the trade, gave us a little bit of inside inside of that. So I want to share this interview. It's about uh, 12 or so minutes. Uh, so enjoy that. It was myself and Brandon Schultz talking. We're going to talk about a, a little bit more about what the Bengals are doing with their roster. We're going to talk about the Cleveland Browns game. And then of course, we're going to preview the Titans with Denard Walker, part of the Believe in Titans podcast. So for now, enjoy this interview with Brandon Schultz of Field Goals. The Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast is happy to be joined by Brandon Schultz of Field Goals. He runs their podcast over there. We've got this nice blossoming relationship between our show and with Brandon. We're going to be talking about the Carlos Dunlap trade a little bit from the Seahawks side of things, as well as get some insight on BJ Finney before we do. Brandon, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. It's, uh, you know, I, I know that both of us are coming off of disappointing losses, both 37, 34. And I, so I, you know, we can console each other a little bit <laughs> after this Sunday and uh, just hope that better things are ahead for both our teams. Well, here's the thing. I mean, you guys are five and one. We're one five and one. So it's a little bit different. Well, it's than... a little, little bit different. I mean, you know, <laughs> just, you, just... Got, you got the number one overall pick. We got Russell Wilson. It's, you know, we're, we're in good quarterback shape just a, just a little <laughs> bit just a little bit but at least the Bengals do look to be in good shape at the quarterback position um but we're not here to talk about that unfortunately we are here to talk about what transpired Wednesday afternoon uh I, I guess let's start with what the Seahawks received from the Cincinnati Bengals in veteran defensive end Carlos Dunlap uh obviously a need and one thing I always marvel about Brandon with the, the Seattle Seahawks is they never seem to be content even when they are one of the top teams in the NFL they never seem to be content with what their current roster construction is they are always looking to improve 
and oftentimes with a valuable veteran. So uh, what, what's kind of the pulse of Seahawks fans as Dunlap makes his way to Seattle? Well, you know, this is something that I think that Seahawks fans are frustrated didn't happen earlier, not necessarily with getting Dunlap, but just getting defensive line help in general. In the offseason, they identified defensive line as being a big issue. They went out, they signed Bruce Irvin to come back to the team, but he mainly plays strong side linebacker, but he does have a history of of sacking the quarterback. So there was the hope there. They signed Benson Mayoa in the offseason, not a top name, uh, defensive line talent, but at least somebody that can come in and, and provide production. And he's been the most productive pass rusher to this point this season. There was hope, some hope that Jadevian Clowney would come back in the offseason. He wanted too much money. He ends up going to the Titans late in the offseason when it was kind of, you know, every other move had been made. Everson Griffin had signed with the Cowboys. All the other free agents had come off the books. And, and really, Clowney was the only guy that was left. And for him not to come back to Seattle, it really, I think, uh, it changed their offseason plans entirely of, of what they were looking to do along the defensive line. And, you know, we saw Rasheem Green go down early, who is a, a former third round pick who is kind of coming into his third year. So a lot of expectations there. They signed Daryl Taylor or they drafted Daryl Taylor in the second round, traded up to get him. He's been injured. So there just a lot of injuries at the position. Bruce Irvin goes down to injury. So they're really stuck just having to find a way to make moves and then for for Carlos Dunlap to become available after seeing Everson Griffin then traded to the Detroit Lions I think this was one of the the best moves out there that was available and uh, I think Seahawks fans couldn't be happier with what they had to give up to get a guy like Dunlap yeah we'll talk about that in just a second do you see Dunlap being a a starter right away or just kind of a heavy rotator right away he's a guy by the way that you know, he, he plays edge, but he has kicked inside on passing downs and he can do, uh, you know, some multiple things there. But is this a guy you see seeing heavy snaps right away based on what you're talking about with the injuries and everything on the defensive line? I think so. It will depend on Rasheem Green is supposed to be back this week and they kind of have similar body type and play similar positions. So I think what uh, but he's coming back from a, a neck injury. So those can be serious and you never really know how somebody's going to respond from that. So I think. That will depend a lot on on how this rotation ends up going. It's uh, I know we won't see him for this 49ers game coming up this Sunday, but uh, he could be helpful to have against Josh Allen and the Bills next week. Any concern? I, I personally don't have this concern, but I guess from the Seahawks side of things, I'm sure they've heard that Carlos Dunlap was disgruntled going into this trade scenario, any concern that those kind of issues carry over? Or do you believe, as I personally do, do you believe that it's going to kind of be fresh start, roses and sunshine as Dunlap goes in, especially with a rah-rah guy like Pete Carroll at head coach? Yeah, it, I see it being a little bit different situation. Obviously, you referenced the Bengals schedule earlier. Playoffs probably not in the Bengals future for this season. Yeah. And Dunlap's getting to that point in his career that maybe he wants to, you know, be involved, you know, go deep in the playoffs. And with the Seahawks getting uh, out to the 5 and 1 start, obviously looks like they're in in pretty good shape to make the playoffs and and maybe make a deep run, especially the way the offense is playing behind Russell Wilson this season. So I think that can be a motivating factor. Obviously there is concern. I mean, 
there was talk about Antonio Brown coming to the Seahawks uh, just before he was signed to the Bucks. So I mean, that was more of a concern character wise. Like <laughs> Dunlap, okay. I, I mean, from what I've heard from you is that Dunlap, you know, he's he's done things in the community, been a part of that too. So I think that uh, I, I, there's not as much concern. I think type move, move being very frustrated with the Jets and then coming to Seattle and and from all accounts being an excellent teammate. Yeah, truth be told, I mean, this is this is one of those situations that probably works out well for all parties, really kind of f- from the Bengals side of things, a little bit of addition by subtraction in terms of getting that distraction out of the locker room, even though the yield wasn't very high for what they got for a, a guy that has had the career like Dunlap. But, you know, fresh start for him, a valuable player for the Seahawks, Bengals get some, you know, a distraction out of their locker room, kind of a win-win-win all the way around, even though... You know, it's kind of uh, from the Bengals side of things. It's just a little, little sad about how these things, how this whole thing kind of played out here. Let's talk a little bit about BJ Finney, a guy that I have not. I mean, obviously, we know the Bengals got the the seventh round pick as well. Seventh round pick is a seventh round pick. Uh, BJ Finney is a guy that joined the Seahawks recently. He initially was with the Steelers before that. He was an undrafted guy, an interior offensive lineman. What can you tell us about him? I know there's kind of limited information on him, but what can you tell Bengals fans maybe to expect or what what have you seen as he's gotten playing time with Seattle in his time there? Well, let's start with the playing time. It's really short. Uh, he played <laughs> 29 special team snaps, so he's been out on the field goal unit essentially. Okay. And, uh, that's all we've seen from B.J. Finney, and it's been kind of disappointing because there were high hopes for what Finney would bring to the offense back in March. He was really one of the very first free agent signings for the Seahawks. They had signed Greg Olson, uh, but uh, you know, they, they signed him before that uh, the free agency deadline opened up and Finney was one of the first guys and the Seahawks looking for uh, help on the offensive line. I know Bengals fans did a kick out of the fact that one of the guys they looked to for help was Cedric Abwehi and <laughs> And yeah. so he's been the, the backup tackle essentially for the Seahawks. But BJ Finney was one of the other guys. And with Justin Britt having gone down to an ACL injury and um, you know, former second round pick Ethan Posick having had back issues and, and injuries over his career, there was questions around whether or not he would be able to step into that center role. And so Seahawks fans were essentially penciling in BJ Finney as the starting center mm. on week one. And that never materialized. In fact, when training camp rolled around and we're starting to get word at a training camp of the number of snaps and first team, second team type guys, it was Ethan Posick as the number one guy. And BJ Finney was all the way at, at the third guy who was mm-hmm. getting snaps at center in training camp. So that was a huge surprise to hear that he was a, a two year, $8 million acquisition. I think they did have the ability to cut him after one year for around 4 million. So I think this move was primarily to open up salary cap space for the to make the Dunbar move possible. And I, I think the Seahawks are even still going to have to make some salary cap restructuring uh, to to make that move fit within their salary cap because they only had they were the lowest out of all 32 NFL teams with about a million and a half of cap space going into this move. From what I understand. Uh... Finney, his deal with, I think, like you said, was a two-year deal. And I think that second year was kind of an option type of type of right. year where a team can kind of get out of that and, or they can keep it for another 4 million and, 
you know, right now the Bengals offensive line is a little bit battered. They had what what equated to four backup offensive linemen playing at one point in the game last week. Um, you know, and the, and the one guy who was the start, the day one starter, Mike Jordan was a guy who's kind of been a little bit up and down this year himself. So, you know, I think with some questions along the offensive line, particularly along the interior of the offensive line, this, this acquisition makes sense for the Bengals. Was it in your, in your estimation, because, you know, I think there are some similarities and some differences in terms of the schemes that the Seahawks run and the Steelers run obviously much different quarterbacks between big Ben and Russell Wilson back there, but you know, was it a scheme fit issue with, with Finney with the Seahawks, as opposed to, you know, being a guy with the Steelers and maybe the Bengals can get back to mining some gold out of, out of this player, or is it just, he's just a guy with a kind of a low ceiling at this point. I I got the impression that it was more of a learning the playbook type issue. And there was the idea that he could play left guard, but then Mikey Potty, who's also coming off uh, ACL injury, I think, but he was able to come back and re-sign with the Seahawks and start at left guard. And then the depth that the Seahawks have at guard helped make this trade possible too, because they've had just so many guys who I, I think are very close at that backup type starter level to play at guard. And so I, I just know when this trade happened, uh, Seahawks fans were excited. And then we, we got the word that, oh, there's a player that's going to be involved too. And so your mind starts going through, okay, well, where do we have depth? Where do we have guys that salary cap could be an issue that, that could help this team? And, you know, the, you worry about it being a guy like KJ Wright, maybe, or a guy like Jaron Reed on the defensive line who hasn't had the production that maybe would, um, you know, he's has a, he signed with the Seahawks for $10 million in the offseason uh, for over two years. And so his his salary cap could be an issue, too. Um, so those two guys on defense, you kind of lean there. And then on offense, it was uh, B.J. Finney, who, like I said, it was kind of a disappointment for him to be one of the first acquisitions and for him to not even really sniff the starting lineup and uh, and then having some depth at tight end, too. And so. Um, you know, Jacob Hollister is a guy who was on a restricted free agent tender, and he was one of the names that we thought that maybe um, with them signing, with the Seahawks signing and uh, drafting a tight end who had been on injured reserve just about to come off, that maybe he would be involved in the trade too. So uh, really, the Seahawks fans couldn't be happier with, with this being the move and with it only being a seventh round pick thrown in there too. Quickly, Bengals fans' expectations for Finney in terms of playing time or, you know, career trajectory, that sort of thing. Is the bar pretty low? I I would say that, well, it, I think it has to be a, pretty low, but I think you look back to some of his time in Pittsburgh and the time where he was filling in uh, at, at guard and center, and I think there is the hope that he could be a, a potential, you know, the average starter, not going to be anything spectacular, but I, that's what Seahawks fans were expecting out of him. And I, I don't see any reason necessarily to expect any less than, you know, a potential borderline starter at either center or guard. He's Brandon Schultz with Field Goals, the SB Nation Seattle Seahawks site, and he runs their podcast over there. Brandon, where can people find your work, get in touch with you, and check out everything? that is going on with the Seahawks and maybe even a little bit on keeping an eye on Carlos Dunlap. Yeah. Hop on over fieldgoals.com. You can subscribe to this show, uh, your show, Anthony SB slash NFL podcasts. 
Well, thanks for thanks for coming on, Brandon. And I, for our listeners, I've told Brandon this a couple of times now. For our listeners, if you like joining us live, if you like the video component and all of that of our show, Brandon is the guy I have to personally thank because last year we were having trouble trying to find a recording software and Brandon was the guy as we were going into preview week one against the Seahawks. Brandon was the guy who pointed me to StreamYard that has kind of changed the whole show. So Brandon, I want to personally thank you and uh, I'm sure our listeners thank you as well. Yes, Anthony, glad I could make that happen. Appreciate you having me on. I'll do it anytime. All right. Stay well, my man. You too. So that was Brandon Schultz with Field Goals, the SB Nation Seattle Seahawks website joining us for a bit to talk about Carlos Dunlap, his potential role, at least early on with the Seattle Seahawks. And of course the acquisition, the Bengals made. we'll talk one more minute about uh, the, the acquisition and maybe what's ahead for the Cincinnati Bengals. I do, I do want to just say this quickly. I did have the pleasure of meeting Carlos Dunlap at one point and he was very, affable guy, very approachable. He was a massive, massive human being. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just, I just, as a Bengals fan that has followed this team, really Carlos Dunlap, I've covered the Cincinnati Bengals for, for Cincy jungle since 2011. And obviously Carlos Dunlap has been just a, a figure of, and, and a, a big one for the Bengals in that time since I've covered him. So, uh, personally I'll be missed. I, I I'm, I'm saddened a little bit of how this whole thing played out, John, as I'm sure you probably are too, but, I, I do. I caught myself thinking about him. Uh, just that inter, that interaction I had with him in San Diego a handful of years ago. Very nice guy, and um, you know we never got him on the show, unfortunately. But uh, you know, best of luck to him. Like easily one of my favorite Bengals of all time. Favorite to cover. Favorite to watch. Favorite to be a fan of. Everything that he did on the field and off the field, that it, it was commendable. And that what that's what needs to be remembered about this. And you look at a guy like Dunlap, who still has like a, a couple quality good years left for him to be traded away for essentially a backup offensive lineman in a draft pick that's never going to be anything. You have to I mean, at the end of the day, you have to look at this and think, yeah, the Bengals just didn't really get anything out of this trade. But with how everything has happened, the fact that he wasn't productive when he got traded and everything that everyone else saw about, you know, how he handled the situation for them to get anything at all, I guess, is, is a positive. Even though the draft pick's not going to do anything, obviously. But, you know, a guy in B.J. Finney who um, Brandon Schultz talked about, a guy who could compete as a starter on this offensive line in any of the interior positions, someone who was decent when he had his opportunities in Pittsburgh. And, yeah, I, I remember him. Like, he got signed for two years by the Seahawks with the expectation to start, and he just never did. So the fact that, you know, he lost that that competition and then was traded – you know, seven weeks into the season after signing a two-year deal, it's a little bit questionable. But now the Bengals are in a position to have a guy uh, through the 2021 season to make the roster and potentially make an impact in the starting lineup. One quick thing: this is on CincyJungle.com. Jason Markham wrote this one. The Bengals may not be done. Not only adding a, a player in free agency, they if you've been following this show, Quentin Spain has been visiting the Cincinnati Bengals, and uh, it's it, the uh, the headline right there: Bengals are still expected to sign him. And then uh, there may even be a, there's some chatter of potentially more trades potentially coming for the Cincinnati Bengals. We'll see what happens there. And obviously, CincyJungle.com will be breaking that. But the Bengals may not be done. They may not be done with the tread de deadline coming up early next week. And of course, uh, you've got the Quentin Spain situation, another guy who could vie for a starting position there. Any thoughts on, on Spain before we move into the Browns and then into the Titans, John? 
Yeah, Spain, uh, he may not be a, a great option to start for an offensive line, but that's just how desperate the Bengals are. If they can get anybody that's better than Alex Redman at right guard on a week-to-week basis, you know, that Redman might have his highs here and there, but some of the, they, they can probably rely on being better on any given week. They have to take that opportunity. So even if Spain may, may not be the greatest fit in the scheme, you know, a primarily his own scheme because he's more of a, of a gap and man blocker, I think they have to take that chance and see what he's got. We're going to move on and talk a little bit about the Browns, loss to the Browns, and then, of course, we're going to talk about the upcoming game against the Tennessee Titans with Denard Walker, former Tennessee Titan himself and host of the Believe in Titans podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I just want to remind folks, get the show how you can, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, any number of major audio streaming platforms, our show is available. The Cincy Jungle channel is what you want. You get our show, The Orange and Black Insider. You get Orange is the New Black with Ace Boogie and Zim Hude. You get Chalk Talk episodes with Matt Manick, and a lot of those are video formats, so you got to subscribe to our YouTube channel for that, and all of our content is on Cincy Jungle's Facebook page as well. We've got a lot of different live viewers tonight and have had a bunch throughout all of the episodes we've been doing recently. So we thank you for your support and hopefully you enjoy what we've been bringing you in terms of Bengals coverage. John, you mentioned it. Mr. Carlos Dunlap Sr. Uh, relayed the fact that Lou Anarumo and Carlos Dunlap Jr. were a little bit at odds. And that's an understatement. And now you have for the second week in a row a defensive collapse by the Cincinnati Bengals and the mic, the uh, microscope gets a little bit heavier on Lou Anarumo and his defensive unit. I know there are a lot of people, a lot of important players, either not playing snaps, injured, et cetera, but big collapse by the Cincinnati Bengals in this one as they lose in shocking fashion. I guess maybe not as shocking if you've watched the Bengals for any period of time, but 37-34, they lose to the Browns at home, a game that they had in their hand at the very end. There was this one Browns game like a while back. They won like the Bengals won 56 to 44, and it had like multiple defensive TDs. <laughs> like that was the last time I remember a Bengals Browns game scoring this much, aside from the week two game. So I guess going back beyond just 2020. Scoring thir- like Jay Morrison of the Athletics said, this is the first time that a team scored more than 33 points and not punt and lose the game. It happened 55 times earlier in NFL history since the merger in 1970, and all 55 of those teams won. So it's back-to-back, man. (laughs) It's like the offense is finally clicking. Burrow and and his receivers are so much, very much in sync with each other. There's clear chemistry with his top three receivers. Tyler Boyd, A.J. Green, T. Higgins, they're playing some of their best football. Higgins is finally coming into his own. He's almost got 200 receiving yards in the past two weeks. And even without, you know, Joe Mixon on the field, even hundred percent or just not on the field at all. And without great run blocking from the offensive line, the offense is putting up points and sustaining drives. And it, 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 this is the sign of a bad team. Even if the defense can have good weeks, like they had against Baltimore a couple weeks ago, like if you have one unit that's playing out of their mind and one unit that 
that chokes in the worst possible spots, that's just the sign of a bad team. Even if there's potential on both sides of the ball, if you can't put together for one game with both sides playing well, except against a lowly Jacksonville Jaguars team, you just don't have a lot of confidence that they can actually close out games. That's been the one thing. That's what Denard Walker said to, said to us. One five and one speaks for itself, but they've been in every single game, including this one aside from the Ravens game. They just don't know how to close it out. Like we saw at the, at the end of this game, like uh, Patrick Judas, our, our own Patrick Judas of Cincy Jungle said that they left too much time for Burrow because Burrow and the offense got the ball with four and a half minutes to go. We all kind of felt that they, they were at least going to get a field goal or a touchdown out of that drive or they were going to get, they were going to find the end zone. They were going to find a way to score. And it was just a matter of how much time are they going to leave the defense? They had a fourth and inches at the two yard line. They didn't, they didn't have to get in the end zone there, but you can't fault Giovanni Bernard for falling into the end zone. If the Browns safety, Andrew Sandeo, if he tackles Giovanni Bernard at, at like the inch yard line, the Bengals take about 30 seconds off the clock. They probably score on like a QB sneak. They leave maybe 20, 30 seconds left for the Browns and they probably win that game. But if you, if you can't give your defense a chance to, to hold the Browns 80 yards in a minute, then there, there's no excuses for that. It, it's completely on them for the second week in a row. And it, it's not going to change unless they just magically grow new players and have a new defense coordinator. So I've got a couple of different numbers and things to throw out there. Bear with me there, but great points, John. And really, if you look back at it, if you go back to the the Eagles game, Bengals had a seven-point lead to close that one out. Two pass interference penalties. Eagles mar- march all the way down and get an inexplicable game-tying touchdown at the end of that one. You go back to last week, giving up the 21-point lead. And then this one, again, just miraculous catch and throw after miraculous catch and throw that was given up by the Bengals defense. And you kind of say something's something's got to give there on that side of the football. And I know there's a lot of personnel attrition. William Jackson didn't play. Trey Wayne, your top two corners, are not playing. Geno Atkins on a, on a snap, a limited snap count. We talked about Dunlap snap count. Um, Mike Daniels coming back from injury. There's a DJ reader out all kinds of issues in terms of injury, but you got to make a play. You got to step up in crunch time. You got to make a play. Someone on that defensive unit has to make a play and you can, you can point right at Lou Anarumo for that. You can point at Zach Taylor too, but I want to say this about the offense. You mentioned this, take this for what you will. The Bengals last year, and I know it's with Ryan Finley and Andy Dalton under center for the season, but they scored more than 20 points four times. And three of those times were in the final uh, – two of them were in the final two weeks there. Um, and three of them were in the final five weeks. So they they only scored more than 21 points four times uh, – 21 or more points four times last year. This year they have done – they've scored more than – that five times already so there is a lot of progress you can point directly at joe burrow for that but there is some improvements in play calling in recent weeks for zach taylor so i i want to get your thoughts on that on those numbers there if there's really much there i i just found that those stats to be kind of interesting myself and of course the 112 and one record uh what you make of that yeah i i think you know, to to have that performance against the Colts, 
a, a defense that is still really good, at least uh, statistically, and, and has personnel to to you know affect games. I think that performance spoke volumes about the growth of not only Burrow but his relationship and his communication with Zach Taylor, the play caller. I think Taylor has grown a lot in, in recent weeks with his quarterback, who's now well into his rookie year. I think he said a week ago that he he doesn't feel like a rookie anymore. He's played six games, six six seven games now. And he feels comfortable in that leadership role on the field and in the locker room. So it, it, th- those like the lack of preseason, it doesn't matter anymore. He's in there. He's got enough reps to you know establish himself as someone who can you know take on these responsibilities and whatnot. And I think Taylor has grown w- with that as well. And his play calling has evolved into a more creative and diverse uh, type of way that has helped the offense immensely. You know, it, it's it's a way more efficient offense. You know, in the, over the last five weeks now. I think Burrow's yards per attempt is 7.7 and on the year it's 6.9 because those first two games, which in, in fairness came within four or five days on the calendar, you know, it was so low as like it was below six. So he's got a higher yards per attempt since week three over like Lamar Jackson, Tom Brady, Matt Ryan and Kyler Murray. So the efficiency is, is kicking back up and that's really helping the offense. And also because he's hitting on these deep balls as well. But also, we got to give credit to the offensive line. You know, they played mm-hmm. fantastic with Jonah Williams and Trey Hopkins leaving the game. Bobby Hart and Michael Jordan had two of the best games I think any of us have ever seen in oh. the same game against guys like Sheldon Richardson, Larry Ogunjobi, and of course Miles Garrett, who didn't really do anything against Bobby Hart. So incredible by them to give the offense that chance. But like you said, man, like oh, <laughs> oh 12 and one in in or one twelve and one in these one score games, it, it's a, it's a clear and obvious theme. And regardless of the growth that Zach has made as a designer of an offense and as a play caller, he's the he's got the responsibility to make these decisions in the most critical parts of the game. And it, 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 the Bengals don't get swept by the Browns that much. And the last few times it happened, the coach got fired at the end of the year. I don't think at this point we're ready to make that call or prediction yet. But unless he shows growth in this one area, it's going to be tough for him to sell going into year three. This was a, this was a tough one. This was a tough one to swallow because that was another one you felt like they they could, should, would have won, and they let it go. It's against a division rival. It's at home, and really, if you get that win, that has an opportunity to really turn around your season. Whether or not that makes the playoffs realistic or anything like that at two four and one, probably not. But you feel a lot better about your football team at that point. So this, this one, and then of course, just losing to the Browns. I know the Brown family does not like that. So, uh, you know, really for me, just kind of a final thought. And I want to get yours before we move on to the Titans, John, this, this to me also was a reminder of the value of Giovanni Bernard. Uh, Gio Bernard, Gio Bernard had about, I think 90 or so combined yards, 30 plus receiving 50 plus rushing. Um, All right. Yeah. 50 plus receiving. 30 so rushing had the touchdown catch on the fourth and goal. And then John, he also was immense in pass protection, picking up blockers. There are times where he just gets lost in the shuffle, doesn't get the snaps and all of that. And and he gets an opportunity and you go, there's that guy. That's why we've got 25 around. And that's at at least that's something I, again, I took away. I know we tend to forget about him, but you kind of know why he's got that C on his chest. And uh, I, I, I was really enjoying watching him play Sunday. The stock of mustaches around the world have never been higher. <laughs> he's, he's 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 representing it well. Like ele- like you said, eleven flawless snaps and pass protection. Uh, they did a great job of minimizing Miles Garrett off the edge. They gave uh, Bobby Hart some help there from time to time with either Drew Sample or Geo kind of checking him off the line. But 
like you said, you know, it, th- there's definite value to him being around still. And even if he wasn't exactly, you know, efficient running the ball, you can you can tell that he does some, some things different than Mixon. He gets downfield a little bit quicker, and he kind of helps out his blockers like that. So, like, I mean, like you said, even if we didn't see Trevion Williams out there when he was active, you know, I, I think there was a reason why Gio was out there for most of the game. Yep, and Rob Duncan here in the live YouTube chat. May- Mayfield has the games of his life against us. Damn, it pisses me off. 22 wow. straight completions, man. 22 wow. straight completions, 17 <laughs> touchdowns in six career games, and a 5-1 and one record. Uh, that says quite a bit about Baker Mayfield. Bengals fall to 1-5-1 and one in the Joe Burrow era to start that off. We're going to transition now to preview the Titans. Let's hope the tide turns, I guess, a little bit for the Cincinnati Bengals. We'll see if that ends up being the case. But much like the Brandon Schultz interview, we spoke to Denard Walker, former Tennessee Titan and current host of the Believe in Titans podcast. We spoke to him a little bit earlier before this program took the air. We're going to share that interview. John and I spoke to him over the phone. And uh, so we'll share that here in just a second. But it's a very enjoyable interview. I think you'll enjoy it too. So we're going to share that with you. As mentioned before, we have a very, very special guest joining us on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast tonight to help us preview week eight against the Tennessee Titans. The Cincinnati Bengals host them. And we have former Super Bowl team member of the Tennessee Titans, Denard Walker, defensive back, now the host of the Believe in Titans podcast, helping us to talk about week eight. Denard, how are you doing tonight? Man, I'm doing great, man. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. I mean, despite one, five, and one, I guess we're doing all right. Uh, should be, <laughs> should, could be, would be, uh, you know, maybe three, four wins uh, more for the Bengals at this point. But uh, it is what it is. It's Cincinnati Bengals football. And we're excited to have you with us. As I mentioned, um, you know, obviously you had a great career. Now you're you're representing the Believe Podcast Network and the Tennessee Titans. So that's very exciting. We'll hear more about that in a minute. I guess I want to, you know, before we kind of dive into the X's and O's a little bit of the game itself, I guess I want to start a little bit with, you know, you, you played for the Titans late 90s and into 2000 where you were playing the Cincinnati Bengals quite a bit. I guess I want to ask you a little bit about the, if, if you can give us a little insight of the Titans internal perception of the Bengals at that point, when you went up against them, were they kind of perceived as a little bit of a doormat? And did that perception change quite a bit maybe when Marvin Lewis took over in 2003? Cause I was, as I, uh, when I was doing the show this morning, I actually had a recollection of, the old Bengals when I played them. And let me tell you something. That team was good in 1990. Well, let me tell you something. It was kind of like hot and cold with that team uh, for the four years that I was in Tennessee from from 97 to 2000. And let me tell you something. They had some playmakers. You had Carl Pickens. You had Darnay Scott, Corey Dillon. And then when those guys got rolling, I mean, they could play. They could play with anybody in the league, but the the biggest question mark that I have with that team is they just really sometimes didn't have any heart. And what I mean, what I mean by that is you didn't know what you were going to get, you know, on Sundays. You might get a Bengals team that was going to play hard, and they typically played hard when they had Boomer and Siles and that quarterback, but they basically annihilated us and kicked us out of the playoffs in uh, 1997 mm-hmm. because of the way they played down in Cincy. So 
Um, it was a good, to me, I'll be honest with you, I always thought that organization had a lot of good talent. And I just thought when they got the right coach in there and the right mix of players, I knew that they were going to take off. Yeah, J- Jeff Blake was pretty good, but he was no Steve Steve McNair, and that's for sure. And that's kind of the difference of why one team went to the Super Bowl, one team kind of stayed in the rut. But I guess let's transition towards the modern day Titans. You know, the, they're five and one right now after going through a little speed bump with with the COVID business and whatnot, and they're taking command of the AFC South. It's a pretty well rounded team when looking at the rest of the NFL. But if if there's one area of weakness on this team that you know, you would have to say that is the one thing that can potentially slow them down. What would you identify that as being? Well, you know, as I kind of look at this unit, I mean, they're strong, of course, at the running back position, you know, because because of the D-train, Derrick Henry. And uh, Jeremy, Jeremy McMillan has been playing lights out, kind of spilling Derrick, which, you know, giving him some uh, rest time. And that's really huge, especially as they get down the stretch, you know, going into the season. Um the team is strong on the offensive line. Uh, you know, these guys, that there's continuity among all of them. They play well together. I know we lost Taylor Lewan. That's a huge blow. But, you know, Ty Sembreo has stepped in. He, he had a heck of a job against Pittsburgh last week. Played well. Saffold, Jones, Davis, and Kelly, they're so underrated as a unit. I think the tight end position is strong. I think the only question mark that I would have is the secondary. That's because... They don't have a Dory Jackson. And when you don't have your ace, you know, out on the field, it actually it hurts your team. So I think when they get a Dory back, I think he's going to strengthen that unit in the secondary. And I think you're going to see some better play uh, from the entire defense. Because I think with, when you add him into the mix, I think he makes your defense better, just his presence along being, being on the field. Adoree Jackson's my boy, Denard. He's a USC guy, so I'm, I'm a big USC guy. I always liked Adoree Jackson. Very good player, very talented, highly athletic. So you're speaking my language there. We're talking with Denard Walker, member of the Tennessee Titans, 1999 AFC Championship team, Super Bowl member of that squad, joining us to talk about Week 8, Tennessee Titans taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. You mentioned his name a little bit, Denard. Uh, Taylor Lewan. You know, the the Titans lost Jack Conklin in free agency. You now lose Taylor Lewan in, uh, for, to an injury. You didn't really mention that as much of a weakness, but maybe long-term. Is that something where you're looking at as a potential looming issue, especially when you're going into the time of year when the weather gets bad and the Titans may be wanting to rely a little more heavily on Derrick Henry? No, no, I don't because of the way that he played last week. And listen, he's a proven veteran. You know, any time that a guy, I think so many times we get caught up in the backup position when you lose a starter, how would he perform? You know, I've always said that when a guy, he has a number and he's a part of uh, somebody's 32 teams, he can play. And the same expectations that they have when Taylor is in that game, they have the same expectations on Ty, that he can go out there and get the job done. They expect that. He's a pro. That's what makes guys, that's what gives them a chance to make a really good living playing a game that they love is they earn that spot. They earn that position. And I think Thompson Breo, I think he gels with that, with that group. Again, I don't think that they're going to, it's going to be a drop off. I know you can't replace a great player like Taylor, but again, when it's a guy's chance, I mean, Todd, this is a chance for Todd to show, you know, listen, a lot of people that he's just as good, if not better as Taylor. You know, I hate to say that, but that's the mentality that you have to have. It's just your chance. And I think as he takes, you know, advantage of this chance, 
you know, that he's been given, I think he's going to utilize uh, his abilities, and I think he's going to play well uh, from here on out. Because if God, if God can play, he's the real deal. So, again, I just, like I said before, I think this is a team on the cusp of doing something great, and I still think that they have the chance, even though they lost a cute piece, um, you know, on, on that squad. Funny enough, you know, Ryan Tannehill, not – like about a year ago was a backup as well. And then he kind of asserted himself as the starter of that team. And he took the league by storm. And I think a lot of people expected him to kind of come back down to earth, but he's not, he's playing like a legitimate MVP in your mind. What has been the one thing that Tannehill has taken from last year and really elevated into this year to keep up with this pace. And do you believe he's capable of leading the Titans to a Super Bowl? You know, he's just, he's just gotten better. I mean, what he's done is he, I said earlier, um, in our podcast when we first, when we initially started, that as Ryan goes, so does this. I think he has, he's been down some really bad roads in Miami, of course. That's why I ran him out of there. So there's nothing that can save him. He's a veteran. And the thing that you love about Ryan is, you know, he's poised in the pockets. He's tough. We saw the hit last week that he took in the red zone, but he gets right up. He's resilient. And I think this team emulates his play. And one of the things that I love about quarterbacks, you know, in this league, you can stay stagnant and you can be out of a job or you got to be like Russell Wilson. You get better, you know, each year you play. And that's what Ron has done. He's gotten better. He's, he's brought different elements to his game. We saw, you know, against Buffalo when, you know, he didn't necessarily have the big yards passing, but we saw when he would, you know, break some long runs, you know, people forget how athletic he is. They forget his athleticism. He was a, he was a starting receiver mm-hmm. at Texas A&M. And the guy's a stud. He's six foot four, you know, and I would, what I remember Ryan at Texas A&M, because I'm a Texas guy, he was a great receiver. He was a number one receiver at Texas A&M. And he probably, if he stayed at receiver, he probably can play receiver in the league. And that's just to show you his athleticism. And stuff. that's something that you can't coach. And that's, that's his strong point. You know, people just forget that this guy, he's just like Russell Wilson. You know, he just don't run as much, but when he when he does, I mean, he's a monster. It's, it's really hard to think because he's so versatile. And that's why I love his game. I mean, he's basically utilizing all of his dogs and abilities, and it's just been fun to watch him play. Talking with Denard Walker, host of the Believe in Titans podcast, former NFL player, spent four seasons with the Tennessee Titans. Happy to have him with us previewing week eight Bengals versus Titans. I want to go back a little bit kind of uh, to your playing days, if I if I can, and kind of bridge today from your playing days with the Titans. You mentioned his name as well, Derrick Henry, obviously one of, if not the best running back in football right now. You played with a great one on your sideline. And in fact, the old AFC Central had just a slew of great running yeah. backs in your time. I mean, there, there was... Fred Taylor on Jacksonville, Corey Dillon on the Bengals, um, and then, of course, uh, yeah, Bettis, yeah, on the Steelers. And then, of course, you had your guy, Eddie George, and a lot of Bengals fans are very familiar with him from his Ohio State days. He had just a great career, an absolutely massive back. If you had your choice, I'm going to put you on on the spot a little bit here. If you had your choice and you were saying I had to pick one of those two backs, Eddie George or Derrick Henry, I know it's a different game. I know – Different styles of play, maybe a little bit, but if you had to pick one of those guys, who would you pick and why? Let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you right this. 
I'm telling you right now, I'm going with E.G., Eddie George. Why? Because he's one of my favorite players uh, along along Steve, Eric McNair. They're my two mm-hmm. favorite players of all time. And the thing that I love about Eddie is when you see Derek, Derek is a reflection. He basically is a modern-day Eddie George, six foot three, 240-some pounds, People forget how fast Eddie was, how elusive, how big he was, and how strong. But I will always go with Deuce Seven. <laughs> he is the best running back that I've ever seen in my life. Um, he's the toughest guy that I've ever seen. And let me just say this right now. I can sit here and talk all day about EG. But the thing that I love about Eddie, and people don't know this, is one thing. Is that after a game, you got to understand our whole offense was predicated around EG. Everything was around, especially in those days, because that's when you really ran the ball. I mean, basically mm-hmm. 30, 40 times a game with one one back, you know, a lot of times. And the guy would be in a boot on Monday, but he'll be full go on Wednesday at practice. Never took a never took a practice off. And I'll tell you what, he played like that. Just a tough guy. He was a great person. And uh, right now they're considering him uh, – Hopefully he get in the Hall of Fame. I think he had a Hall of Fame career, and I'm just hoping he gets that. And I hope he gets in. Well, that's good. And then the Bengals are playing the the lesser running back in Derrick Henry this week, but <laughs> they still have a tough task in tackling Derrick Henry in this game. Um, it's going to be a big mismatch for, for the Bengals. But as someone who covers the Titans and follows the Titans, how what is one way, or, or I guess. How, what what is what what did the Bengals have to do to beat the Titans? Because it's going to be it, it could it could potentially be an ugly game, and one that the Bengals are definitely not favored in. But what did they have to do in order to win this game? Well, I don't want to give out the secret because if I give out my secret <laughs> sauce, then what's going to happen is you guys can take that and you're going to give it to you know Zach Taylor, and then all of a sudden, if they lose, then this could come back to me. But let me just say this. You know, and I don't want that to happen because I don't want to, listen, I'm too old to be trying to fight some young boys today. I'm telling you, I'm not that, that old dog. I'm an old dog. I'm not like what I used to be. I'm 47 years old now, so I'm not trying to get into anybody fight. But I'll say this. The Bengals, you know, let me tell you something. I love this offense, okay? And I know you're going to talk about defense. You know what your offense is going to do. They basically have, you know, pretty much giving you a chance to win all year. This is a team that probably could be 5-1 or 5-1 as opposed to 1-5-1. But the defense is really much kind of their Achilles heel. And you know what? Until they can kind of get those guys up. I mean, I like Bledsoe. I like Covington. But again, they're young. And I think the secondary is kind of the – they're kind of hurting right now. But again, I think if this game can find the way – because this, you are a friend of high school. Zach Taylor actually got the team going in the right direction because they've been in every game this year but one, and that's against the Ravens. So they, they keep losing close. But one of the things they got to do is that they just got to learn to make plays. And once they were to make plays and finish finish out games, this is a dangerous football team. I know people, it, their record don't reflect that, but this is a team that can, if you step on the field with the mindset that this is a 1-5-1, one, one, they'll spank you. They will spank you. So I'll tell people in Cincinnati, hey, listen, you got a great team. Once they get this defense going, you guys are going to be good for a long time to come. I hope that's the case, and uh, you know, I, I think Zach Taylor could get all could use all the help he could get right now to scrape together a win. So, uh, I, you know, I, even though your secret is safe with us, I think I think we I think he could use some help closing out some games before we get. Or, by the way, we're talking to Nardwalker, former defense back, 
for the Tennessee Titans. He is now the host of the Believe in Titans podcast, Believe Podcast Network. So uh, before we get on out of here with um, your score prediction and whatnot of the show or of the of the game rather, um, and hear about your show, I want to I want to get just a little bit of info from you here. You were part of the team that was part of the Music City Miracle. I, I wanted to just you know, get a little bit of your thoughts as you saw that play unfold, because that is obviously one of the most iconic plays in NFL history. And, um, you know, I, I would like to get your perspective on that as a player on that team. Oh boy. You had to go back there. Didn't you? Yeah. I just did a podcast. Uh, I did a show with the people at Buffalo and they said, we're not going to ask. Okay. This is everybody always want to, and I'm going to say this, it, it, I'm going to be honest with you guys. And I hate to say it like this, but if we were playing in Buffalo, Buffalo would they would have went ahead and played um, the Colts the following week. Hmm. But because we played at Tennessee, I do believe that we got the call. So I would be really looking at the play because I'm the guy that basically gave up uh, to help put them in field position because I had a bad day covering and I barely stopped. It was at Price. He got a little hitch and ran about 10 yards on me. It was a shoestring tackle that I was able to make, that I made. But, yeah, I truly believe that sometimes when you're at home, you get the call. And I think we got the call that day. I think if we were in Buffalo, I think Buffalo would have went ahead and played um, Indianapolis hmm. uh, the following week. Talking with Denard Walker, host of the Believe in Titans podcast and – We'll uh, we'll hear more about that in one sec. Before we do, Denard, how do you how do you see this one playing out? Week eight, Bengals versus Titans. You know this team. You know when I watch them and I break them down, man, this is a good team. That's the thing about it. Their their record don't really reflect uh, their play because every game they've been in but one, and that's the thing. If they can basically learn to close out a game like they start. This is a that I, they basically made run and be the hunt to come like December and January. I mean, the team is that good. They just cannot close out games. So until they learn to close out games, especially on the defensive side of the ball, I'm going to give the edge to Tennessee. Now, I'm bad at this. I'm bad at making predictions for scores, but I'll say Tennessee, this is going to be a close one. And I'll say 31-24. Yeah, 24-31, I got the Titans winning. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. You are a bit more complimentary to the Cincinnati Bengals than maybe some others out there. So we appreciate that. We appreciate your time. This has been a heck of an interview. Been very, very enjoyable. Denard, where can people find your work now that you're on the Believe Podcast Network uh, hosting the show talking about the Tennessee Titans? Well, yeah, Believe in Titans. My man, Davey Hudson, and I, we basically just. Uh, you guys go in there. It's a great podcast. We have fun with it. We just talk football. We basically argue with each other. <laughs> we go at it. We nitpick. Everything is like a Davey comes with the analytics. I come from the football side of things. Uh, I don't want to hear his, uh, you know, analysis about, you know, how what this percentage. And then I'll come back at him. He comes back at me. So it's really fun. We have a really great time with the show. And it's just basically breaking down, you know, the following game, what happened. I'm giving my opinion, which it probably don't mean nothing to anybody. So uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Denard underscore Walker and not be everything about what's going on with the scene. But uh, mm-hmm. I also want to say one thing before I go. 
I will say you guys should be excited because Joe Burrow went to my alma mater, LSU. There you go. You guys got one heck of a quarterback. I love this guy. I love his swag. You guys got one of the best quarterbacks that's going to be in this game for a long time. So, again, Cincy fans, you guys need to be excited. It's your man. Denise Walker, former Tennessee Titan, nine-year NFL veteran member of the 1999 Tennessee Titans Super Bowl team, and now the host of the Believe in Titans uh, podcast, part of the Believe in Podcast Network. So, Denard, I just want to thank you on behalf of John Sheeran and myself. Thank you for your time. We appreciate it. I know you're an extremely busy guy, but uh, it's been a lot of fun talking, and hopefully when these two teams play and maybe that's postseason sometime in the near future, or maybe, you know, somewhat somewhere down the road. We'd love to have you on again and talk to you. Same, and thanks, thanks guys, for having me. I really enjoyed myself. Thank you. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. That was Denard Walker. Former Tennessee Titan, John, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I know there was a little bit of a disconnection there. Sorry about that for folks. It didn't take too long to get him back on the air, so that was good. But uh, great having him on. Really enjoyable interview, and we hope you enjoyed that. Good. Uh, that was that was fun, John. It was. You know, it, it's nice uh, talking to players that played before me, and I get to learn these insights about games that I never saw in person, but I've just heard about with hearsay. So another great guest on the show. Absolutely helping us break down the game against the Tennessee Titans. And we're going to talk about our take on that here in just a second. As usual, you can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or I guess Google Podcast now. Megaphone, iHeartRadio. You can get the show on YouTube. There's a little subscribe link right underneath John Sheeran's shoulder there. So click that if you want our YouTube stuff. And, of course, all the stuff is on Cincy Jungle's Facebook. So we appreciate the support. Subscribe how you can. Leave us a rating on one of those platforms, too, the audio platforms, that is. Help uh, boost a little bit of visibility for us on, on iTunes and whatnot. That would be great. Again, that was Denard Walker, Believe in Titan podcast, part of the Believe podcast network. That, that uh, network has been excellent to this show, John, and I credit you for helping build that relationship there. Cam Rogers is kind of our point of contact there. We've had Eric Davis join us to the 49ers game last last year. He was awesome. Uh, we had Takeo Spikes come our way to talk about his show and, and part of the Believe podcast network this summer. And then, of course, now we have Denard Walker, former Tennessee Titan, joining us. Uh, John, let's just do a couple. We're, we're running long because of the multiple interviews and such a lot of, you know, so many topics to get to tonight. Um, let's just do a couple final thoughts on what we think about this Titans game, what we heard from Denard, and uh, maybe a couple predictions, et cetera. But key for the Bengals to come out of this one and and get on the right side of that one twelve and one close game record, if that game even comes to that. So, I mean, right, right now, J J wow, right now, Jadavion Clowney is not looking great to play in this game. I think he missed Wednesday's practice. He hurt his knee against the Steelers last week. If he doesn't play, that basically leaves Jeffrey Simmons and a bunch of other scrubs on the Titans defensive line right now. And really, their whole defense is kind of reeling. Really, Kevin Byard is not playing up to his potential or, or what he was in years past. Like uh, Denard said, they don't have a Dory Jackson out there. So Jonathan Joseph, if you guys remember him, he's their number one cornerback right now. Uh, Malcolm Butler, Christian Fulton. Christian Fulton's hurt. Malcolm Butler's not playing very well either. So this defense is exploitable. 
even though they had a good second half against the Steelers. And if that's how the Bengals are going to win, that's how like that's how they can win this game. It, it, it will be another shootout because I just don't foresee this defense it coming close to stopping Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry, even if they're not hitting on these insane plays down the field to A.J. Brown. Tannehill is still extremely accurate and, and just a great decision maker, and he's legitimately playing like one of the few actual MVP candidates right now. And it's tough to compete with that when your defense is nowhere near complete or competent in any way, shape, or form. So it, the, this, the over-under for this game is, is in the 50s again, just like it was last week against the Browns. We're probably going to see the Titans put up somewhere in the 30-point range, and it's just up to the Bengals to, to keep up with that. Unfortunately, you I, I believe you're correct. The pressure is on the Bengals offense to continue to score 30 plus points in a game, Burrow to throw 300 plus in a game in terms of passing yards and limit the turnovers. The one thing that's got to change this week, John, is somehow the Bengals got to find a way to pressure Tannehill because what's going to happen is there's going to be play action passes, potentially some deep drops with that. And if there is no pressure, Tannehill, even though he's athletic and, and fast, but he will hang back there all day and he will pick apart the Bengals defense. We've seen Baker Mayfield do it off of play action and the Titans undoubtedly will want to utilize the same and use Derrick Henry, not only as a, an immense weapon in their offense, but also as a, a decoy for their passing game to be effective. And the Bengals will need to find a way to get to the quarterback, despite the injuries. I don't know if that means increased snaps for Geno Atkins. Finally, um, I don't think Sam Hubbard's coming back. Uh, that's probably not happening until after the bye. So, you know, I, they're going to have to find somebody, and Carl Lawson's going to have to have a big game. Somebody's going to have to get in there. Exactly. And, I mean, yeah, like like uh, Taylor Luan's not out there, so Ty Sembralio is out there at left tackle, and they have uh, rookie Isaiah Wilson, who a lot of Bengals fans remember in the draft process. He was picked right before the Bengals' second-round selection, so he's at right tackle yeah, like it, it, it's now or never for the pass rush. They go into the bye. They already traded, you know, Carlos Dunlap. So they're rolling in there with Amani Bledsoe and Carl Lawson. And, you know, it would be nice to see Khalid Kareem, you know, step up with potentially more snaps at his disposal. He's shown some nice things and has splashed a few times, but it'd be great to see him get, you know, pressure the pocket and force Tannehill to make a bad decision because, again, he's just not making very many of them. This game is probably going to come down to, just like last week. Whoever has the ball last is going to score and it might be the difference in the game. Yeah, I mean, I guess the expectation is the Bengals uh, get the game-winning points with triple zeros on the clock. They can't leave any time left on the on the game clock, right? It's like, oh, geez. Right. And, 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 and if they go down, like, I, I know I've been a proponent of, you know, running backs being devalued, but, I mean, Derrick Henry is one of the few guys that probably does matter. You know, I'm, I don't think anybody should have any confidence and the Bengals slowing him down. If they can't, if they can't limit the yards of a contact from Kareem Hunt, I'm scared to what's going to happen when they face Derrick Henry. Yep. Well, uh, we're we're going long here. We talked a little bit of our keys to the game. Let's uh, call your shot here, John. Do you have a prediction, either an individual, a unit, or a score prediction, or all of the above for this week? Week eight, Bengals take on the Titans before the merciful bye week that is coming up here it's merciful because there's a lot of injuries that the Bengals are dealing with and it's making it a little bit difficult for me to make a certain prediction because i'm not really sure who's going to play it seems like they're going to be down three offensive linemen i don't think that jonah williams or trey hopkins are going to play in this game even if they're listed by zach taylor as day-to-day so you're probably going to have akima denergy at left tackle billy price at center and Fred Johnson at right tackle. Um, I, I think Akeem might run into some struggles, 
But I think we're going to see a good game from Fred Johnson starting at right tackle. I think, you know, he, he has some struggles, obviously, at right guard, which was the position that he played entering the league. But I think we all know he's much more comfortable at tackle. And he showed some good things against Miles Garrett at left tackle. But a full game with preparation at a position that's more natural to him, I think he's going to play pretty well. Because, again, aside from Jeffrey Simmons, the Titans' pass rush is not very competent. I think Burrow's going to put up a good game again and keep this team competitive for as long as they can. But it's again, it's just hard for me to see them slowing down Tannehill and Henry. So here you see it here. I should have uh, brought this up a little earlier here, but I mean, this is as of Wednesday afternoon, the practice here. You look at the, the Cincinnati Bengals, Geno Atkins, Mike Daniels, Bobby Hart, Trey Hopkins, Joe Mixon, Phillips, Jonah Williams, and Brandon Wilson all did not practice for a variety of different reasons. Limited was Marcus Bailey, Ethan Carter, A.J. Green, William Jackson, and Mike Jordan. And then, of course, you had John Ross uh, back at practice, full practice. Interestingly enough, our good friend James Rapine relayed on Twitter that John Ross was taking some special team snaps uh, at practice. So whatever that means. And then, of course, you've got quite a few guys on the Titans that did not practice. Clowney, Cruikshank, uh, Christian Fulton, the rookie corner, Joseph, as you mentioned, Dennis Kelly, the tackle, uh, Jeffrey Simmons, the talented interior defensive lineman, and Ty Smith, another corner dealing with with an issue there. So injuries all across the board here to a lot of different players for both. I, I just, you know, I mean, part of me says they can the Bengals can keep this close and, you know, maybe there's some remote possibility they sneak out a win. But between the injuries and between just the deflating nature of what happened last week and maybe even some form of an, of an emotional hangover of this whole Carlos Dunlap saga, I just I don't I don't see this one going very well for the Bengals. I really don't. I, I think, you know, you're maybe looking in the um, 38, 27 range something like that, um, you know, maybe maybe a little bit more manageable. But uh, I, I, unfortunately, I just see there's just kind of too much to overcome for the Bengals this week and against a good opponent, too. Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, like, they're still not a good team, and the Titans are probably going to win their division. It's not a game I think a lot of people are expecting them to win, but I think we all still expect growth from Burrow and the offense, and it'll just be fun to see how, how much they keep up because we know that this defense is not, probably not going to get the job done. Yeah, well, we're going really long, getting close to an hour and a half, but we got to a ton of stuff. Uh, let's drop the mic and get out of here. I just kind of want to say, John, I, thanks for taking the extra time tonight for these ex- other interviews and this long show um, and spending the time and doing the work there. I know it's been a lot of work, not only for this show, but doing stuff on the website, reporting on all this stuff. So I just want to thank you and thank you to our listeners as well for sticking with us. We still got a lot of live viewers hanging with us late on the Eastern time if you're joining us live. So uh, I just want to share a little bit of gratitude. Yeah. And this is something that I'd never really experienced before. I'm, I feel like I'm just always portraying a journalist and not actually being a journalist. I didn't go to school for it. Um, But yeah, it was, it was interesting to see how this has played out and the fact that this situation got resolved right before we went on the air and we were given access and permission to really talk about it. So it's it's been an interesting week for this show and for me personally in my career. And I'm glad I got to share with all you guys that tuned in to listen. Yeah, it looked as if maybe uh, it looked like maybe Carlos Dunlap Sr. was joining us via Facebook. Um, at least I, I saw a couple comments from a Dunlap Carlos. So I don't know if that was him or not, but if he did, that was kind of neat. And hey, you know, uh, it didn't end very well in terms of Carlos Dunlap and, and how it how it played out. But um, 
big, big respect to Carlos Dunlap and what he did for this organization. He was a big part of a lot of success, particularly in that five straight playoff run, uh, playoff appearance run that the team had. Some top defenses under Mike Zimmer. Very, very productive player. It's a shame, John, that he didn't get that franchise sack record because I think he, I think he more than deserved it. Absolutely. Well, thanks, John. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. This has been a little bit of an extended version of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Get the show how you can on any number of audio platforms, on YouTube, on Cincy Jungle's Facebook page. We will be seeing you soon. Take it easy. Enjoy the rest of your week.